to the COL Roundtable, powered by PFI Advisors. Here's your host, Matt Sonnen. Welcome, everyone, to episode 39. We have two extremely experienced guests with us today, running two of our industry's most interesting firms. So I think this is going to be a really fascinating discussion. Rob Ziliak joins us from Buckingham Wealth Partners, and I've known Rob for eight or nine years now, dating back to his time as COO at Hufford Advisors, which was a firm that I was introduced to when I worked at Focus Financial. Hufford then sold to Buckingham, and Rob joined the leadership team at Buckingham, and I'll let him walk everyone through the various roles that he's had, but Rob was named the Chief Operating Officer in January of this year. So congrats on that, Rob, and welcome to the COO Roundtable. Thanks so much, Matt. Appreciate you having me. Great. And then joining Rob is Ryan Armock, the head of operations at Thrivent Advisor Network. Before, before joining Thrivent in May of last year, Ryan was the chief operating officer at Private Client Services. And as you will see during this conversation, he has extensive knowledge of operations, processes, and technology. So, Ryan, welcome to the podcast. Great to be here, Matt, and uh, and always a pleasure to uh, listen to the dulcet tones of Rob as well. <laughs> Perfect. Well, I'm going to go with you first, Ryan. Why don't you tell us a little bit about Thrivent Advisor Network? Yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting story. So Thrivent Advisor Network, or, or TAN as we affectionately call it, um, is a very young organization in the RIA space. Uh, it was really founded in 2019, and it was the, the outcropping of, of Thrivent Financial. Um, it's branching out into the independent RIA space, and, and um, Thrivent being a 100-plus-year-old Fortune 500 fraternal organization, um, this was a new venture for them, right, and, and getting out into the, to the RIA space and the independent world, and uh, this was the first branch of that. It's, it's unique in that it's, it's not publicly traded, nor is it owned by private equity. It's a fraternal organization, so ultimately it has an obligation to its, to its membership. And, and um, ultimately, the, the firm was started uh, by a group of career advisors within Thrivent itself that then wanted to go independent and move into the independent space to expand their offering to, to sort of um, get beyond the bounds of a career agent, become true business owners. And, and as such, uh, we had uh, about 25 different advisor groups move over to help form Thrivent Advisor Network in 2019. Uh, since then, we've added some other firms, uh, external firms, and that brings us you know, to where we're at today with about six and a half billion in assets under management, uh, about 450 employees at about 300 IARs. Um, and really the unique thing about, about Thrivent Advisor Network, I think, is, is its relationship with Thrivent and having that at its, at its core. It's, it's really independent advisors seeking greater fulfillment, um, really thriving with purpose, being one of the, one of the core aspects of, of what Thrivent's all about and certainly what TAN's all about. And, and it looks at money not from the perspective of, of it being something we all aspire to, but really looking at money as a tool to help clients make the most that they've all that they've been given. Um, really, the, the heart of it all is generosity, and the heart of Thrivent is generosity. And, and Tan is the the independent um, arm of Thrivent in the RIA world that that really brings that to market. Great. And Rob, I'm guessing most of our listeners know the Buckingham name, but uh, give us give us an overview of the firm. 
Happy to do that, Matt. So uh, Buckingham was founded in 1994 by four CPAs uh, who were regularly asked by their tax clients to perform a, a broader array of services, starting with financial planning and, and investment management. And after enough years of being asked and, and seeing their clients uh, treated poorly, or at least not as well as, as they wanted to see the clients be treated by non-fiduciaries, uh, those four CPAs established uh, Buckingham as a fee-only RIA. Uh, it then also created, uh, at, at, what, at that time we would have referred to as more of a classic TAMP that was known as BAM Advisor Services. Uh, so from 1994 to the present, um, we'll fast forward and say that Buckingham Wealth Partners, as you introduced earlier, Matt, is the sum total of the RIA, Buckingham Strategic Wealth, and Buckingham Strategic Partners, which is, we think, more than a TAMP because it's really a full suite of back office solutions plus practice management, portfolio management, and, and more. So about $65 billion of collective assets under management, $25 billion for the RIA, and about $40 billion through Buckingham Strategic Partners. And uh, as of today, our employee count is right at about four, 540. So uh, obviously, a lot has changed since 1994. Uh, we do remain fee-only fiduciaries, and, and we've continued to broaden our set of internal solutions beyond just wealth management. It now includes tax prep and filing services. It includes specialized services for uh, niches like this, um, dentists. Uh, we have services for business owners and, and more. So quite a diverse firm. And I mentioned, Rob, I mentioned that uh, I knew you when you were at Hufford first, but I, I didn't realize at the time you had been at Schwab for 16 years prior to that. So walk us through, walk us through your background. Yeah, sure, Matt. Um, I, I think one thing is it's a sign that you and I are aging just in case either of us were in denial. Um, this last <laughs> decade or so has gone really quickly. Um, so yeah, the, the 16 years that Schwab was, was nearly 17. Uh, and, and like most, I actually entered the profession uh, before Schwab um, as someone who wanted to provide financial advice directly to clients. And I did it the old fashioned way by soliciting securities and insurance. Uh, and after doing that for a year or so, I, I recognized the pitfalls of being a, a 20 some odd year old commission based broker and, and found a better model in Schwab. And, and for nearly 17 years, I was really uh, blessed to have a variety of client facing and management slash leadership roles at the firm. Um, I did everything from lead teams and, and uh, uh, performed things like trade dispute resolution within a Schwab call center. I worked uh, as a retail broker out in the physical branches. I was also a branch manager for a long time. Uh, I worked within the Schwab private client, um, RIA, which is the RIA within the broker-dealer, an interesting model in its own right. Uh, and I also then led, uh, I had a managing director role within our client service arm and at one point responsible for about 200 employees there. Uh, shortly though, Matt, before you and I met, uh, in the range of 2009 to 2012, I earned the CFP designation and, and a Master of Science in personal financial planning. And I really think that 
that those uh, contributed largely to my ability to have moved to Hufford a decade ago and, and achieve the role that I have today in the RIA space, thanks to that additional knowledge uh, and, and credibility. When I joined Hufford, it was as a wealth advisor and COO, as you mentioned, I joined the founder of the firm as a minority partner, largely to help him find a succession plan. That could have been anything from me being his succession plan. It could have involved us starting to acquire firms, thanks to help from Focus, or join a larger RIA. And in late 2014, we did sell to Buckingham. Uh, in, in the last eight years, I'll just fast forward through the Buckingham experience pretty quickly. I did advise clients for a short while. Most of it, though, has been in leadership roles of advisory teams within the RIA. And then also an organization-wide role as chief experience officer, leading the strategic design of, of what we call our design, build, protect client experience. Uh, and, and today now as the chief operating officer, I really consider myself the leader of, um, of the client experience as a whole. It's my job to ensure that all facets of the client experience uh, are, are executed and implemented. First, you called me old, and now after you go through your background, I just feel very lazy. <laughs> That's an incredible story. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and But Ryan, uh, I know you have an amazing background as well. I mentioned private client services, but you've had some really long tenures with a few different firms as well. So walk us through your career progression. Yeah, indeed. And and similar to Rob, I, I, I thought Rob was telling my story, actually, when he, when he first started, because um, I started in this business as an advisor, just like Rob did, and, and had a very short stint in it. And that was only after I spent a few years in radio after college and how radio translates to financial services. I'm still not sure to this day, but uh, I found myself uh, as an advisor with AXA back in 2000. Um, and it was a pretty short stint with those folks. And, and one thing I knew is, is um, ultimately, I didn't have a passion for being an advisor, but I did love the business. And at, and at that point in time, I, I thought to myself, you know, I mean, what's a better role for me? Somebody that's, that's analytical and, and can kind of think through problems and, and problem solve. And, and um, luckily enough, I had, I had uh, known and worked with somebody back when I was in radio that actually did uh, a, a talk show on our station. And uh, she, was a, she was a registered rep and an IR with, uh, with SII Investments in, uh, in Appleton, Wisconsin. And, and lo and behold, they had an opening. I started on the trading desk uh, with those folks. And ironically, enough, or not ironically enough, actually, sadly enough, it was, it was, I started the week, I started there the week before uh, September 11th. And, um, and so it was a uh, very tumultuous start to, to my operations career uh, when, I, when, I, when I started with SAI back in, in 2001. Um, but it, it did nothing but get better from there. And uh, I spent oh, close to 17 years with, uh, with SAI Investments, Investment Centers of America, as well as the other uh, BDIAs that were part of the Jackson-owned uh, broker-dealer and investment advisory network. Um, and in those 17 years, held a, a variety of roles, everything from the trade desk to fixed income specialist to products to um, you name it, I did it. Uh, ultimately, when it came into the to the operations space, 
Uh, I was vice president of products and services uh, at, at the firm when uh, we got the news back in 2018 that uh, Jackson was selling the entire network off to LPL. So uh, I was one of the lucky few that got to wind down operations uh, as the clients and our advisors transitioned off the platform. Um, never, never something easy to watch. An organization you've dedicated a very large part of your career to just kind of, kind of vanish in a in a very short uh, time frame. But I, I really was fortunate enough to uh, to become affiliated with Private Client Services. Then um, they are independent uh, BDIA focusing on a hybrid space, and and I know a lot of folks in the RIA space that do broker dealer business are very familiar with them. Um, I was brought on um, through a relationship with one of our advisors that decided they were going to start uh, their own RIA and uh, and started a conversation with private client services. And in that conversation with their CEO, uh, they mentioned, hey, we need we need some operations folks. We're growing quickly and we need somebody to run our operations and some support staff and everything else. So uh, lo and behold, that opportunity presented itself for, for me and, and 16 other folks that were that were with SAI Investments at the time, part of the wind down. So we got to transition essentially the last day of employment there. We moved over to Brian, private uh, private client services the next day and and uh, and began work there. And um, we spent a lot of time building, um, really rebuilding their investment advisory platform for tuck-ins and, and, and for advisors there, as well as working on the BD side of operations as well. Um, so as CEO there, COO there, I served uh, with all of those folks for about three years, uh, created a, a service center up in Appleton, Wisconsin. And uh, and then certainly uh, worked with staff that were located both in Wisconsin as well as down in Louisville, Kentucky. So my first foray into into true remote working with folks that uh, report to you that don't necessarily office with you. Um, and and little did I know that that would pre prepare me for what would happen in in a, in a few short uh, years as we got into the pandemic. But. Um, ultimately, last year, I received a call from a former colleague that I had worked with years ago, and and uh, he told me that Thrivent was, uh, had started an independent RIA channel, and they were looking for someone to come in and head up operations on their side, and, and um, I've always admired Thrivent as an organization, uh, very active in, in a lot of communities, but certainly ours, where they have a, a very big operations center, um, but it was never a good fit for me. Uh, just because it was a career agency, it was an insurance agent. I'm on the independent side, so I didn't have a true passion um, for that side of the business. But uh, but certainly an independent RAA channel was something that appealed to me. And and to get in with a company like Thrivent uh, was, was a significant opportunity, and, and I jumped at the chance. And and so, so yeah, since May of last year, I have been with Thrivent and uh, have loved every second of it. Uh, working with our advisors, with their clients, and, and with the staff in the in the Tan Home office, it's it's been a, a great ride so far, and we have so many great things ahead of us in in what we're doing as an organization. Wow, you both have an amazing background. So I'm going to start throwing questions at you now, and and uh, get your take on on a lot of things that are going on in the in the RIA space. Uh, first of all. Um, as everyone knows, one of the primary principles of this podcast is to talk about the need for professional management. Uh, we've talked about it a lot. Financial advisors, they tend to launch their own firm. And then from that day forward, they tend to struggle with that back and forth of, am I a financial advisor first or am I the owner of a financial advisory business first and an advisor second? 
And most, in my experience, most want to remain financial advisors first. So then that's where they'll look to hire a COO or a head of operations so that they can stay focused on what they do best uh, and on what makes, you know, what they're most passionate about. You both have been in this industry for so long as you just walked through. So I'd love to get your take on this. Um, Ryan, I'll, I'll go to you first. Why do you think financial advisors struggle with this? this? Am I an owner or am I still an advisor? Well, I, I mean, I think you hit the nail right on the head, Matt. You know, I mean, successful advisors got to the point where they could launch their own RA firm by being just that, great advisors, right? And and their focus, you know, does need to shift when they when they become a business owner as well. And recognizing that need to have someone with the expertise and passion, that same expertise and passion for other aspects of the business like technology or operations, compliance, HR, that that fun stuff, that's a key time really when you come to that realization, it's a key time in, in growing their business. I mean, I, I think about a, a Cerulean report that came out, I don't know, a couple of years ago and it listed really the top challenges for RIA growth and all of the things that aren't really being an advisor, those were the top things on the list, right? Time to run the business, technology, management, the operational aspects, the compliance requirements, those are the things that the advisor doesn't want to or like to deal with. It, but those are the things that people like you and Rob and I, that's what we have a passion for in this business. And having those experts as your partners lets them, you know, keeps them in the activities that they really got into the business for. And, and, and one thing I'll say is that most, not certainly not all, but most of the, the really ex successful businesses that I've worked with over the years, they have two things in common. First, they have great, a great advisor or great advisors. And then the second is, is, is support staff, right? They've recognized that, look, I want to be a great advisor. I have to have that support staff in place to be able to, to do the things that aren't being an advisor, right? So hiring the people that you can trust to hand those things off to and to handle them professionally and effectively is, is really key to their growth and key to making them you know, successful. Combine that with a partnership like Buckingham or, or, or Thrive Advisor Network, and then those advisors can be business owners without the stress and the, and the burdens that come with it. And, um, it, it it really is a key recognition point in, in an advisor's career where they where they can go look this is this is how I can I can maintain the passion for what I love to do about my business but still also uh, also ultimately own that business. And Rob, what do you think of this this internal struggle that RA owners often go through? Ryan gave an excellent answer. So I, I um, if if the goal of of this podcast was to have some adversarial comments. Uh, I, I check out at this point. He, uh, right. he, he gave a great answer so far. Um, I, I think what I, maybe the little bit more that I could add to it is, um, you know, the, because financial advisors were trained to be advisors, they became somewhat accidental business owners. Um, during my time at Hufford, as you referenced, Matt, our, our niche was advising members of the dental community. Uh, we had clients in all 50 states. So whether they were a general practitioner or a specialist, in almost all cases, they owned their business. They went to dental school to take care of the patient who was sitting in the chair. They didn't get trained on 
how to hire people, how to how to buy uh, really expensive technology, how to whether or not to to lease or buy buildings or anything else that it takes to actually manage the business itself, and uh, and, and so the parallel is quite striking in the RIA space because even though there's not necessarily an RIA school of, of where the advisors go to learn, the concept very much applies. And thanks to their success of taking care of clients who are sitting across the table from them, many of them found themselves having to make this whole set of business decisions. And by time they choose to join uh, with a Thrivent or a Buckingham or any other uh, firm that's been helpful in in uh, succession planning throughout our profession. Um, some are more ready than others to delegate those business owner decisions, even though uh, many of the business owners sort of accidentally came into being the manager. They do get used to making all the decisions, and so. Oftentimes, it's, it's an ego or a, a willingness decision to, to recognize all of the decisions can't be their own anymore. And instead, there's a broader organization that has to be taken into consideration. Hello, podcast listeners. We have never interrupted a conversation before like I am right now. But Rob mentioned our industry lacks an RIA school, and frankly, that set us up perfectly to discuss our online educational platform, the COO Society. So I hope you'll indulge me for just a second as I discuss the RIA school that we've created. The COO Society is an online training ground that teaches RIA owners and operators how to run their businesses more effectively. For a monthly subscription fee, members gain access to three core learning paths technology, human resources, and business administration. The technology learning path covers the RIA tech stack and details how to best leverage these back office tools. In our experience, most RIAs are only using 20 to 30% of what they're paying for. So we dive deep into how to use all of the bells and whistles embedded in these technologies to their fullest extent. We also interview each of the major vendors to get guidance directly from them. The human resources learning path hits directly to what Rob mentioned in his answer to this question, how to attract, hire, and manage your people, and how to create career paths that provide personal growth opportunities for your employees. In the business administration learning path, we tackle topics like what key performance indicators you should track to gauge the health of your firm, how to perform a client segmentation exercise at your firm to better hone in on your ideal client, as well as compliance, project management, and how to be a successful RIA buyer. In addition to the course content, the COO Society includes an online discussion forum where members can pose questions not only to PFI advisors, but to each other as well. The RIA operations community is more than willing to share best practices, so we're excited to help facilitate that collaboration and provide members an opportunity to learn how other RAs are tackling the same challenges they're facing. We are extremely proud of what we're building and invite you to learn more at pfiadvisors.com. On the website header, select COO Society, and you'll be taken to a page where you can watch a few introductory videos to get a sense of what the platform provides. In the episode notes, we'll also link to a PowerPoint presentation covering the key components of the COO Society. 
Thanks for listening. Now let's get back to the conversation with Rob and Ryan. Well, speaking of business ownership, COVID has forced all of us to rethink how we're running our businesses and how we're serving our clients. So, Rob, I'm going to go to you first on this one. What are you doing differently today than you were doing in 2019 or or early 2020 before COVID hit? You know, I think the best way I could start answering that, Matt, is is my wife asked me just last weekend uh, if I find myself having any conversations or reading anything not related to COVID. And my answer was, not really. Uh, so I, I suddenly feel like it became the replacement for uh, the CFT materials, uh, you know, uh, 10 or 12 years ago. Yep. Um, what do we do differently? Gosh, there's, it's almost easier to answer what, what do we do the same pre-pandemic. Um, and so a, a few things uh, I, I would say really jump out or are worth sharing is, as most, we had to learn how to become uh, much more technologically uh, effective and efficient. Um, I, I think what we've done really well, and we actually have um, client net promoter scores two years in a row in which to substantiate this answer rather than it being anecdotal, is our advisors have had to become much more interactive with clients. So with doing video meetings now and learning how to do screen sharing with financial planning software or updates over the portfolio or simply looking eye to eye through a camera, uh, our advisors can no longer sit there and do all the talking in a meeting. Um, it's, it's naturally helped it become a much more interactive relationship. And from a consumer standpoint, I think that's a huge win especially when we recognize that um, that real financial leadership is a, about as much about life planning as it is financial planning. So I, I think the technological flexibility we have today is, uh, is really a great outcome, uh, despite the challenges the pandemic hit us with. The other major thing I'll, I'll focus on is, you know, we have been in a in a work from home environment now for almost two full years. Uh, any advisor meetings that are in office or in person at all have been purely voluntary. And any of our non-advisor staff going into the office has been voluntary as well. And up until now, we've required them to, to be fully vaccinated. And, and so therefore we've, uh, we've had most of our folks, uh, whether vaccinated or not, working from home. We are going through a considerable shift in instituting uh, a flexible and at sometimes hybrid work model uh, effective the beginning of April um, that will get us back into kind of a new normal where our folks will split their time between working from home and in the office. It won't always be 50-50 on the time split. And it certainly will vary across roles like from advisor to say somebody in operations or what have you. Um, but, but that's another major thing. I mean, the, the pandemic itself prompted us to transform um, how and where we work. You raise a, a good point that I've talked to a few people about. It, it, when this all started, 
the big fear was I'm going to lose all that intimacy with my client. How are we, you know, not meeting face to face? It's going to feel distant. They're not going to feel con as connected to our firm, but, but because we can meet more often and it's just so easy to say, Hey, hop in a zoom and we'll, we can see face to face. And because everyone was at home, people's dogs and cats and children, you know, are, are, are in the background. I, I, in a weird way that no, I didn't see coming. <laughs> uh, it, it's made uh, in a weird way. It's made the connection with clients even stronger because of the, the technology. Like you mentioned, I think it was a really good point you, you brought up there. So Ryan, let's, let's go to you. What changes did you make in response to the pandemic that you think you're going to keep going with long-term? Yeah. You know, uh, much like Rob, I think we experienced many of the of those types of changes um, as a result. When when COVID first started, I was with my previous firm, and and we were fortunate enough at that time to just kind of pick up and leave, um, and, and go remote. Uh, we made that transition real easy. Now, that was the easy part, right? Grabbing your laptop and and moving everything to your home and working out of your home. The hard part was trying to figure out how do all these meetings work? How does Zoom work? How can we make the most of, of, of the technology that we have? And, and kind of to, to, to Rob's point, it, it, it did force us to think about that, right? Um, you know, many of our advisors, most of our advisors were taking client meetings via Zoom or, or Microsoft Teams or, you know, the, the soup du jour when it, when it comes to, to video conferencing. A few were still holding some in-person meetings, certainly for those those clients that uh, that really wanted it, but the majority of it was was all remote. Uh, but what it's done is just changed the way that we communicate with our advisors and our advisors with their clients. Like like Rob said, it's 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 a it's a new normal in terms of of how we're interacting with them. My team itself is ge geographically diverse, and 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 the remote they can re work remote. And probably will work remote or in a hybrid type of environment, uh, you know, from now on. So Zoom and Teams and WebEx—they're all part of you know our lives permanently, and and how we'll interact with each other as as team members, and certainly with our advisors and their clients. Uh, the, the, it's funny. The one thing that uh, I don't use nearly as much as I did pre-pandemic pandemic is the phone. Uh, I find myself on, on Zoom or a WebEx or a Microsoft Teams meeting way more frequently than picking up the phone and calling somebody. Um, but, but the other thing it did, and, and, and Rob, Rob pointed to it, is it, it accelerated our thinking about technology, about it not just being a tool for planning or for managing assets, but how to use it as an interactive experience that it allows advisors to share with their clients in person and remotely. Uh, I, I like what Rob said about, uh, it's not just the advisor sitting in a meeting talking the whole time now. It's, it's, there's a lot more interactive experience with the client. So through that technology, advisors can really be ever present with their clients without having to actually be with them. Ultimately, it's a relationship business and, you, and, and they're using that technology today to even deepen that relationship greater than it, it potentially was before. Well, as, as we all know, the, the craziness of the past two years has given everyone an opportunity to kind of re-examine their lives inside and outside of work and really think about what they're passionate about. Uh, not only... Not only are we running our businesses differently, but we're really just running our entire lives differently today. And 
that's made a lot of people rethink that work-life balance. And this, this self-examination has led to what the press has titled, quote, the great resignation, uh, which has been a, a perfect storm for the RIA industry because we've all experienced record growth in the past two years. So every RIA is looking to hire additional talent right now to support all of this growth we've just had. But at the same time, employees are questioning where they want to work in the country, how they want to work, uh, and who they want to work for. So it's, it's a tricky proposition for everybody. So Rob, I'll, I'll go to you first. How is Buckingham handling this, this current, quote, war for talent? Yeah, uh, Matt, we are, um, we've certainly observed and felt um, the, the struggles in, in the war for talent. I, I would say it, uh, while oftentimes phrases like war for talent are embellished a bit, um, this one may not be. I will say we we feel ecstatic that in 2020 we were able to um, keep up a, a 95% retention rate of our associates and a 90% retention rate in 2021. So we we are ecstatic that we didn't see uh, a bunch of people hitting the exits. Uh, that said, we also allowed our folks to work from home, right? And, and if they didn't want to go into the office, they didn't have to. So part of the unknown dynamic as we look forward is as we shift into a hybrid model of where folks will be splitting their time together, might there be some that eagerly look away or at other models that could be virtual only? Um, the answer is maybe yes and maybe no. We just believe that our particular culture of collaboration and deep relationships will be stronger if our folks spend at least some of their time together in person. Um, so th that said, as we think about the acquisition part of talent, that's where the struggle has really been so far. Uh, we have an internal uh, recruiter, we have an internal uh, human resources team. At times, we have more than one person focused on recruiting. The simple reality is we're having a hard time filling the roles uh, that we have posted anywhere near as quickly as what we used to. And we also have to invest much more in those roles than what we used to. Frankly, what we've found is the best way to acquire talent um, or uh, I should say maybe the most natural way where it doesn't feel so much like a war is via acquisition, because if, if we're able to find a like-minded owner or owners of an RIA that would like to join Buckingham, we have the capability of capturing uh, the great talent that they've built around them. And that's a real key towards, I think, our future success of acquiring great talent. Ryan, how is how is Thrivent attracting potential employees right now? Well, I think that's one of the benefits of of COVID. If there are any, that would be one of them. Is the transition to remote environment, and and ultimately what it's what it's done for us is open up the pool of candidates, of qualified candidates. Um, you know, traditionally we'd hire somebody to be in the office, and you'd have to hire them, you know, locally, or they'd have to move. And and now we can recruit good people wherever they may live. It gives us the ability to go after really the best and the brightest, no, no matter what spot, spot they are in the country. 
Um, you know, beyond that, being part of the larger organization really gives us the ability to be competitive with compensation, with benefits, and uh, quite quite honestly, some of the best that I've seen in the industry. And 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 that is certainly you know very important, right? When 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 we're looking across the, a very broad spectrum of candidates trying to find a great fit. Um, another unique piece about our organization is is um, you know our focus on generosity. Not only does our organization support it, but but they encourage it, and and, and that really is is something that resonates with with candidates to 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 understand that that's the type of organization we are. And, and that coupled along with that flexibility of, of the remote work environment has allowed us to search for and hire some of the best in the business. And, and you know, I, I've been in, in, a, in small or mid-sized towns and cities almost my entire career. So commuting has never been a big issue for me. Um, but when you can get back 15, 20, 30 minutes by working from home and, and, and not commuting, that's a, that's a pretty big benefit. If you're in a larger city where you may have an hour or an hour and a half commute, I mean, that's a that's a huge um, time savings. That's a huge amount of time that you're giving back to to that particular individual. So I think, you know, even in a hybrid spot a space where we may have individuals that that do come and back into the office, just having those two or three days a week uh, where they'll have the ability to, to work from home and, and save the commute time. Um, save the time that it that it takes, obviously, to to go ahead and, and get ready, get in the car, get off to the office. Um, it, it it is it is really one of the best benefits you can offer because ultimately, time is the one thing you can't make more of. And uh, and if that remote environment offers that to to the folks that we're talking to to help recruit, um, that's that's a that's a really big benefit. I um, and I, I love Rob's response about about you know recruiting uh, via acquisition. I think that that is an area that um, certainly we're looking to take advantage of uh, at, at at TAN and making sure that we can have that steady pipeline of candidates that come in as part of acquisitions and and um, and because uh, I think that you, know, you look at the the business and the advisors. That's one thing. The other key element of that is the the current talent there within that organization that you're acquiring. And, and so, you know, we at Tanner are certainly looking forward to that as, as one of the many benefits on the M&A side. Yeah, so, so you both mentioned uh, m and in, in the context of acquiring employees, but I'd love to hear from both of you about how your role as COO and, and as head of operations, how do you impact your firm's ability to attract advisors to your firms, both of you are so active in this in this M and A arena. So, Ryan, I'll go to you first on this one. Well, I would say certainly, you know, having the technology, the the platform, the processes, and the people in place those are key factors. If you don't have those operational aspects, in, you know, in place, if you don't have that competitive tool set, you're dead in the water from the start. But it, but it also comes down to, I think, your operations philosophy. If you build things strictly to be operations friendly, right, making life easier for for myself and the operations folks, uh, you may ignore the advisor and client experience. And and that balancing act between the two can can be tricky, especially when you, when you want to scale. Um, so having an advisor and client centric experience that is operationally efficient and is a constantly evolving process, I, I think that's that's the big key there. 
there's no set it and forget it when it comes to what we're doing uh, from an operational perspective every day. So listening to your current advisors and their clients and translating that into what you know we do operationally, I think is the first step. Then being able to articulate that and demonstrate that to a prospective advisor, to um, somebody that we're looking to, to, to acquire, that's where you, you go beyond just tech demos and process discussions with them. Knowing that their clients will be well served is, is at the heart of their decision process from an operation standpoint. And then the, the real proof of that really comes when, when you do acquire an advisor or an advisor joins, because you can make it all sound really good, but the, but the experience isn't the best that it can be. And, and so transitioning over, transitioning that advisor and those clients over is never easy, but making it as smooth as possible and then delivering on what you've articulated can make or break your future acquisitions. If the move was a bad move, the experience wasn't good, didn't feel right, and then they get here and, and it doesn't feel good from an operational experience, right, doing business with us, th that makes that story really hard to tell to others. It's a, it's a small business and, and a bad experience can travel fast and far. And, and so it, it is really worth paying attention to creating raving fans because that can give you an edge on the next M&A conversation that you have. I mean, we've written many, many articles with the, the varying, varying versions of this headline, but success in, in the M&A arena is way more than just getting financing from a bank. <laughs> and I love everything you said that it, it really, it, it, a bad transition is the, the, the worst type of advertising and a smooth transition is obviously the best type of advertising. So um, I couldn't agree with you more on, on all of that. So Rob, what is your, what is your specific role in Buckingham's M&A success? Um, yeah, Matt, so excellent answer by Ryan. Uh, I'll start mine by saying, you know, I, I, I think of my role uh, a bit as a doctor's. It starts with a do no harm because I work with such talented folks like Adam Bierenbaum and Justin Ferry. They do such, such an excellent job uh, uh, setting the stage with prospective transaction opportunities. I just try to step in and not screw it up, quite frankly. Um, so, uh, but specifically what I try to do is actually similar to what an advisor does with a prospect, and that is engage with them in a thorough dialogue and share with them, uh, of course, at some point about what we do, how we do it, the, the processes, the technology, what have you, all that goes in to help deliver a client experience. But the biggest thing that I try to do is learn what is most important to that particular owner uh, about what they do and how they do it currently and find a collaborative agreement around what aspects of their infrastructure should change right away and get replaced with what Buckingham does. What aspects of their infrastructure should we look to preserve uh, maybe indefinitely because uh, it's great, maybe, and, and it's, it still allows us to be scalable and somewhat consistent. Um, so why disrupt what we have to if we don't have to? And, and the third option is what could we agree to kind of slow play and evolve over time 
to say, okay, if you have a contract in place for a piece of software or whatever the case may be, at what stage might we want to bridge that into using Buckingham? And maybe that's a multi-year decision. So that's the type of role that I try to play uh, in potential acquisitions. Perfect. So we've, this discussion, we've, we've talked about the importance of attracting employees. We've talked about the importance of tra- attracting advisors. Now let's talk client acquisition. Obviously, the client experience is critical to all of our businesses. So Ryan, how does your role as head of operations, how do you affect the client experience at Thrivent? That's what it all comes down to, Matt. If there's no clients, there's no us, right? And and um, you always have to be asking yourself, uh, are we easy to do business with? Is it easy to open an account with us? Is it easy to get information? Do we have the right tools or do we have the tool in place to deliver for the client? And if the answer to that is yes, then how can we make it easier or how can we make it better? You know, always evolve, always improve in, in, in terms of that experience that, that, you're, that you're giving the clients. Um, to me, it, it really helps to, to listen and, and read, you know, listening to your peers, listening to your advisors and your clients and to understand what's on their mind. Keep up with the industry trends and the changes in client behavior so then you can solution and innovate based on your business and, and client needs. And then after you do all that stuff, then you service the heck out of it. Um, and, and, and in order to do that, you have to have great people. And I've been blessed uh, with a great operations staff and a great staff across TAN, some of the most fantastic people in this business. And, and those, are, those are the boots on the ground when it comes, when it comes down to, to servicing those clients and making the experience all that it can be. They're also the people that can help you be proactive and anticipate the client's needs because when you react it's the firm across the street you already you're already behind them right they're they're doing more they're innovating and if you're only reacting to that you're always going to be sort of behind the eight ball when it comes to it but again the key is is to to really think about the the, the experience put yourself in the client and the advisor's shoes and then make sure you have the right processes and 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 technology and then most importantly, people in place to be able to support that and make that experience as, as best as it can. Rob, you, you've talked, you've brought up the client experience a few different times during this discussion. What, what impact do you have on shaping the client experience at Buckingham? Yeah, so um, the way that we've evolved the COO role, Matt, is, is really now what, what I have the great privilege of overseeing is Uh, a a set of departments that in some aspects are quite disparate, but we're all unified resources that actually help fulfill the client experience. Specifically, what I mean by that is um, our advisory solutions. So where we have our tax business, our business valuations, our 401k and other four fee services, we actually have a team of client and advisor experience that includes what is the design of that uh, client experience that allows for a degree of consistency, but yet intimate personalization between advisor and client. 
Then there's the training aspect so that advisors actually learn how to deliver our designed and desired client experience. Um, it's responsibility for our overall investment strategy team, investment policy committee, our financial planning team and, and that evidence-driven planning committee, uh, our strategic initiatives, so being thoughtful around what more should we be doing for clients and advisor as time goes by. And then lastly, our information and technology team um, that we've talked a lot about during this podcast. So it's my responsibility to lead the efforts of all of those support departments and teams that help fulfill the client experience. And uh, Ryan said it well, the, the way that, that uh, we say it internally is very similar. We're constantly looking to reduce friction and make it easier to do business with Buckingham and to allow clients to make it easier uh, to stay with us as time goes by. Well, I promised a fascinating discussion today, <laughs> and Ryan and Rob, you both delivered in spades. So thank you both so much for being here and sharing your, your vast experience with all of our listeners. My pleasure, Matt. Likewise, Matt. It's great, great to be able to catch back up with you, and, and I enjoyed hearing all that Ryan had to share. Absolutely. Well, that is a wrap on episode 39, everyone. Thank you again for listening, and we will talk to everyone soon.